0: Now Moses used to pitch the tent outside the camp, far away from the camp, and he called that tent the tent of meeting. This is Exodus chapter 33. And he called that tent the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them at the entrance of their tents and watch, until, watch Moses until he had gone inside. And when he entered, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would get up and bow down on the ground, all of them at the entrance of their tents. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. So this is is an amazing scene. Every Israelite is watching Moses have casual conversation with God. Remember in the beginning, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. It was normal. But now things are so messed up that a person having normal friendship with God is so rare and such an event that it causes everyone to step out, take notice, and even bow down on the ground until it's over. There was no temple in the garden. No sacrifices, no priesthood, no nothing. Just face-to-face relationship. Then there was a temple. then there, And sacrifices and priesthood and all kinds of stuff necessary to get us back clean conscience in God's presence, free and clear. And now there's not again because the sacrifice has been paid, the priest is already sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we have that relationship, and there ain't going to be no, no temple in Revelation 22. There's no temple. There's not even sun. God is our light. There's no temple, because we're the temple. Right. Back face to face. So what Moses is doing then, that is so staggering, which is talking to God face to face as a friend, was normal before the fall of man, and it's normal for you and me now that the redemptions come normal. Talk to God face to face. And then, okay, I'll keep reading because there's a few things I want to point out. Moses said to the Lord, see, you've said to me, now keep, I want you to keep track of the things that that God had said to Moses. Keep track of them. Moses said to the Lord, see, you've said to me, bring up this people. That's fascinating already. Bring up this people. Into what? Into the promised land. No, that's your calling, friends. Bring people into the land of God's promise. That is your calling. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon y'all because he's anointed y'all. And then the summary of every single thing that he's going to say, set people free. Everything he's going to say, set people free. Right? All right. Just know, these are your scriptures. These are Christian scriptures. These are not irrelevant Old Testament scriptures from the Jews that don't apply to us. This is your Bible. These are your scriptures. These are your promises. You stand in the place of Moses now. You got me? Okay. You've said to me, bring up this people, but you haven't let me know who you're going to send with me. And yet you've said, another thing God said to him, I know you by name. Shh and you found favor in my sight. Friends, he knows you by name, and he found... He sent you to, to deliver people into the land of promise. He knows you by name, and you have found favor in his sight. So, but, but notice, Moses is like, you said all this good stuff, but... And I love it, because that's how you talk to a friend. You don't talk to a friend like you talk to a boss. So he says this, you told me to bring the people up. You haven't told me who's going to go with me. You said you know me by name and that I found favor in your sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I might know you and find favor in your sight. Notice every request he has is not so I can have what I want out of my life. It's so I can do what you told me I'm supposed to do. This is an argument, but his argument is not, God, I don't like the calling. This is, this is an argument, but it's not, hey, I'm sick, I don't feel like being sick. If we're to pray for healing, it's not because it's annoying to be sick. It's so that the gospel is shown to be powerful and God's shown to be good. If we're to pray for grace so that we can love our spouse and not divorce, it's not because our life's hard and our spouse is mean. It's so that we can do Jesus' will, amen? I, I like the selfish twist that gets into it will give us all kinds of landing pads in our heart to be offended, self-pitying, like angry at God, angry at people, angry at life. Our reason for being here is to, is to become what we were made to become, which is love. And as long as I'm still in a selfish motive, I'm using God to get what I want. And it's so tricky. We can take the promises of God and twist it with a selfish motive. And the next thing you know, we're asking for power so we'll have a good day because we, it's, we're still about us. Look, I want a good day so I can do His will. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Deliver me from the evil one. Why? So I can do your will, so I can manifest love. If I'm still rooted in selfishness, and that's not something that like, once for all I put to death. He already put it once for, once for all to death. But each day I got to make sure I'm checking my attitude. What am I? What's my motive here? And then you don't go into a nine-month season of weeping. Just go, I choose love today. Stan taught me that. Just choose love now. Intend love now. No, I'm not here for me. I'm here for the person in front of me who right now I'm super mad at because I'm tempted to get into a selfish frame. Why am I so hurt? Why am I attacking? Why am I taking this so personally? Looks like I need a little heart check, Jesus. I choose you. And sometimes you do the right thing that you don't feel and then we get help trying to figure out how to sort our feelings out later. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, but notice he's, he's arguing. I just love that. And God doesn't get mad and smite him. Ugh. I, we'll, we'll, we're going to go one other place, I think, too. Uh, probably with Abraham doing the same thing. God's making these outrageous promises. Because don't skate over these things. That's an outrageous promise. Because if God says to you, set my people free, I'll bet it's something God intends to empower you to do rather than something God's going to tell you to do and then when you fail, judge you for it. No, he's going to do it. He's going to be with you and he's going to do it, right? Okay. If I found favor, then show me your ways. God, there's no way I'm going to be able to do what you call me to do unless I know you better than I know you right now. Ain't that the truth? God, I need to know you. Not just I want to know you. Like I need to know you. I have to be, I I need wisdom. I don't know how to do what you called me to do. But Jesus does. Did you that's the point of being disciples of Jesus? He knows how and we don't, so he's gonna teach us how. Jesus, I don't know how to be sinned against and not get bitter. Can you teach me? Jesus, I don't know how to wake up every day knowing that I'm the Son of God and that God's good, but I'm still called to suffer. How do those two fit together? You did it perfectly. Can you teach me? Consider that this nation is your people. (laughs) I love that. So many times Moses says to God, do this for your own sake. If you just leave us high and dry, they're all going to be like, God couldn't deliver them. God's not good. See, God, see? It's okay to pray that way. God, this family bears your name. We need better fruit. God, this church, this church, We bear your name. Would you make us strong and healthy and winsome? Would you let us partner with your Holy Ghost? Have mercy on us. Maybe we did screw some stuff up. Teach us how. Glorify Jesus through us, God. It ain't even about us anymore. Like, sure, we'd like a a couple of wins. But what about your gospel, God? What about your reputation, God? We bear your name, God. Don't you care about your reputation, God? God said then in response, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So that goes on the list of things God says. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Those are ours, guys. Well, if your presence won't go, don't even carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and this people, unless you go with us. This is the only way we're going to be distinct from the people around us. What makes us different? The, The presence of God makes us different. We're not different because we're smarter. We're not different because we're better. We're not different because we're better looking or because we're richer. His presence is what makes us different. Now, maybe we are better at some things because of that. But that's, the point is, His presence is what makes us distinct. And I think the main thing that His presence makes us distinct with is, again, when we go through the trial, instead of us folding back in on saying, God, I thought this was about what you were going to give me. I thought this was about what you were going to do for me. No, the reason that the trial reveals His presence in us is because faith for us is not about what God does for us, but about what it enables us to become through Him. Faith for us is not about what He does for us. It's about who we become through Him. He makes us like Him. Man, to manifest Jesus come hell or high water. Right? When everybody turns their back on you. How do you respond like God? It takes God, doesn't it? We need your presence. Otherwise, we're going to sin and we're going to take glory away from your name. We're going to bear your name in vain. We're called by your name and if we live powerless lives, we're bearing his name in vain. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. We often think it means don't say "gd" and please don't say "gd" and please don't say "jc cheaply." I don't even say. I try not even to say "gosh." People say, "Oh my God," and I go, "Oh my word." Please don't say "Oh my God" unless it's an actual prayer. Is you know what my I mean? "goodness" or "Oh my Lord"? Okay. I don't know. That's that's about that's about your conscience. Oh all the time that's a it makes that's it about even. now. If it's a prayer, and for maybe it is for you, I think those those expressions probably started as prayers, right? If something terrible happens, you're like, "Oh God, help me." And that's an authentic prayer. But if it's throwaway, then it's like, eh, it's moving towards that thing. But my point is this. It's not just with our mouth that we can bear God's name cheap. It's with our life being called a Christian and then living however we want or bearing bad fruit. And it's like, God, we need you. We need your presence so we can not just be, not use the faith as a bailout method to get our way or get us out of a pinch as we live for ourselves, but rather The faith becomes how we become what we were made to be in Him. The image of God. We're being conformed to His image. His image is love. God is love. We were made not just to be loved, but to love. That's our whole reason, guys. Simple. If somebody said, what's the gospel? I'd say, Jesus came on a rescue mission and died to restore us back to the Father so we could become love. So we could live as the beloved now and forever. Eternal life starts now. We get to know God. We'll never die. That's the shortest version I know of the gospel. A friend I met in Costa Rica said, he asked people who were coming to speak, what's the gospel? And some people have no answer. One guy literally hung up on the phone. Like there was a video call. The dude started to shake and was like, oh, uh, people need Jesus. And he hung up because he was so freaked out by somebody actually expecting him to be able to articulate his faith. I just thought that was like, wow, I love that question. What is the gospel? Because I'm like, you want the three-word answer, or you want the five-minute answer, or do you want the two-hour answer, or do you want this answer? This whole Bible. <laughs> it's the million-word the million answer. This is the gospel, right? Yeah. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. <laughs> All by Jesus. All grace for me, and joy for me, and glory to God, right? Okay, back to, back to uh, Moses and his friendship. Presence, right? And then the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to do the very thing you asked because you found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And then he goes, show me your glory. And then you know the rest of the story, right? God says, I'm not going to show you my face, but I will show you my glory. I'm going to hide you. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock. And there I'm going to proclaim my name. And then this is where we get the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Abounding in love and mercy. Like so, God, God reveals his name. The whole, the whole scene is amazing. Show me your glory. So he just keeps bartering with God. Right. And God doesn't get offended. God actually bends to Moses. Just like Jesus says to his mom in John chapter 2, you know the story? Mary says, They're out of wine. And he goes, Bump, what? Woman. I like that, right? That's just funny. Woman, it's not yet my time. And then she says, <laughs> She did not say you want a woman." She says to the servants, do whatever, which by the way, that's what I told the kids. I was trying to teach them, you guys can do the inner healing prayer stuff that I do. And I said, these are not rules. These are tools. I said, there's only one rule. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Because that's the only rule, because that's all I'm ever trying to do when I'm ministering, no matter what kind of ministry we're doing, right? Whether we're washing dishes, because Holy Spirit said wash the dishes, or picking up the trash, or preaching a specific passage or theme, or going over and trying to be nice to somebody, or whatever it is, or repenting. It's to do whatever Jesus tells you. So Jesus went from, woman, it's not my time, to telling the servants, Fill those jars with water. Yeah, and turns the water into wine in maybe, like, I don't know how long it was. Was it five minutes? Was it 10 seconds? The way it's written feels like it was four seconds flat. And I go, wait a minute, because Jesus is so in sync with the Father. He was right when he said, it's not my time. But then Mary says, get on with it then. And suddenly the Father says, fine, for Mary's sake, I'll do it. And for the sake of this wedding guests, that's fine. This will be the time. And suddenly it's the time. Moses... Moses says, God, what about this and this and this? And God says, because this passage, what I didn't read to you is God says, I'm going to send an angel. I'm going to send you, I'm going to send an angel to go with you. And Moses goes, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. Oh, we're not doing the angel thing. I want you. And so God says, fine then. I, I said it on Sunday. God's not uh, this Im- impossible to reach uh, you know, perfect, powerful being in the heavens. Now, he is perfectly powerful, and he is in the heavens, but impossible to reach beyond us with a plan. And we just are the little people who have to live on earth. The God of the Bible is emotionally responsive. He feels with us. He cries with us. He laughs with us. He can change his mind. On the one hand, I see passages that say, God doesn't change his mind. On the other hand, I see passages that say, He's going to destroy his his people. And then Amos says, don't do it, God. Jacob's too small. How can he survive? And then it says, and the Lord relented from the calamity he had intended. Now, I know he doesn't lie. But he is interactive. Because he's not lying when he says, I'm going to destroy them. And then he chooses to have mercy instead because one of his kids came in and said, don't do it that way. Please don't do it that way. And this is why the church makes such a big fuss over intercessory prayer. This is why I, I think we should make a bigger fuss over friendship with God. Because God influences us through a friendship with him. Like I, I've said this, I said this all last week with people. They'd pray pretty prayers and I'd say, mm. I'd ask him to forgive someone and they'd pray a pretty prayer. Horrible situation happened. And they'd pray a real pretty forgiveness prayer. God, I forgive so-and-so for doing this, that, and the other, and blah, 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 blah. And I'd go, okay, all right. I said, I'm going to need you to use different words than I forgive. I think I'm going to need you to use this word. It was wrong when you. Next thing you know, they're crying. I handed them Kleenex, and they're getting mad. They're actually digging out the poison of the hurt. And they're praying an ugly prayer. And I kept saying it all week long. Ugly prayers make beautiful people. Churchy prayers don't get much done. If it doesn't reach your heart, it's probably not... Right? I mean, I don't want to say God's not listening. like He he cares. But I'm like, dude, is that even prayer yet? If you don't even mean it? If you're just praying what you think God wants you to say, can you imagine if I said to my wife she looks good not because I believe it, but because I think that's what she wants me to say? She, she ain't dumb. Come on, man. She ain't dumb. How much more discernment does the Father have? Think about them seven sons of Sceva that couldn't cast the devil out. They said all the right words, but even demons can see through something that's just surface, right? I bet you a little kid that hardly knew anything about casting out demons would have more power than them. I bet you someone who had actually been in the presence of God just walking up to the building would have freaked the devil out. Didn't have to know theology, just knows Jesus. One more passage. Skate on over to uh, Genesis 15 real quick. That was Exodus 33. Now we're going to quick skate over to Genesis 15. The theme here is just friendship with God. And that's what you and I have. We can influence heaven and through real conversation with God, He's influencing us and He's saying things to us that we should keep track of, not as an assignment necessarily, but because His words are like treasures for us, man. Right? You remember the story of Bill Johnson being a kid, being a young kid? How old are you? 29? Probably younger than you. And, and, and Bill was preaching different places and he had a notebook and he was always reading his notebook. Always reading his notebook. And somebody was like, oh, he must be studying his notes. And then they looked at his notebook and it was nothing he was saying ever. All it was was promises that God had spoken over him. Because when he was on assignment when he went out to minister, the self-doubt and the despair and the depression would try to cripple him. And so he knew it's not about my sermon notes and saying it all the right way. It's about whether I'm confident in the Lord. Because if I'm confident in the Lord... I'm not intimidated. I can just get up here and flow, right? Because it's not a speech. We're not regurgitating something. We're trying to flow in relationship with God and you. Man, that's amazing to me. I just started, I watched a little bit of uh, the sermon he preached right after Benny went to heaven. Yeah, the fact that he could get up and talk intelligently. And then I I made a big mistake and I read the YouTube comments. (laughs) Somebody was like... Um, see, the fact that he's even sad means he's full of crap. You shouldn't be sad. His wife's in heaven. And I was like, oh, brother. Oh, brother. Well, most of them are super encouraging. It was just one. People were nice to that person, and that was encouraging. They, didn't, they weren't like carnal to his carnality. They were like, brother, when your hour of need and loss comes, I'll pray that you have the grace that's on this man right now. Bless you. And I was like, Woo, these are real Christians in this web page right here. Anyway. All right, Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Oh, well, that's interesting. So, the word can be something that you see in your imagination, not just something you hear, but something you see. That counts too. That's another thing I said all week long. That counts. Because one guy raised his hand when I was saying, All God's sheep hear God's voice. And they, somebody raised his hand and said, uh, What about the Christians that say God doesn't speak anymore because He gave us a Bible? Mm -hmm. What would you say to that, Linda? Repeat the question? God (laughs) gets... Yeah, Christians (laughs) say, oh, now that we have a Bible, this is all that God ever needed to say so God doesn't talk anymore. He wants a relationship and so relationships require dialogue and and sharing feelings and things like that. And there's things in, in there that... There are not things in there that he still wants to talk to me about and Mm -hmm. and his kids that I can't get a clear answer for in his word. That's a good answer. You guys want to add to that answer? The answer is he wants a friendship with me. There's specific things where the Bible just gives general principles, but maybe God has specific guidance for us for certain things. You tell your friends your best secrets. he's He's not dead. He's alive and that's... So if he was dead, if, if that was it, then that's all we have. That's but good. we have so much more to, to hope for. Yeah Otherwise, it's you know, how do you have a personal how do you have something personal? Right that's no alive. Plus, it's like saying, this Bible um, isn't even doable then. Abraham had a relationship. And instead of now I can relate to God the way Abraham did, it's I can't relate to God the way Abraham did. So what's this Bible for? Right. I thought this Bible was to show me who God was and how life works best. I, mean, I wouldn't have known that Abraham had that relationship that wouldn't have been for that. There you go. But because this is here, I can know how to have the same relationship with God Abraham has. Exactly. I can have the same faith in God. Right. Yeah. So like I'm going. Oh, so this was my answer. I said. I said, let's say the, I said, let's say the Bible's done being written. So God's not writing more Bible. When I say He speaks to us, I'm not saying we're writing more Bible. But here's what He's doing. He's renewing our mind, using the truth of Scripture. So when, when, when my mind is being renewed, he's, that, that takes revelation. That, that's God actually lining my brain and life and heart up with His truth. That counts as hearing God. Or how about when I get convicted of the thing I should do? I don't just mean convicted of the thing I shouldn't do. That counts as hearing God. What about when something has a sense of rightness on it? You're like, man, that's right. That is right. That is truth. Like your spirit's bearing witness that this book is true. That's hearing God. Or conviction for sin. That's hearing God. Or how about this one? Paul says that every one of us only comes to faith because our soul is responding to the call of God. That doesn't mean a voice saying, follow me, although it was literally for Peter and James and all them. For us, it's our soul feeling a pull of wanting to trust God. That's how that, that counts as hearing God. There's no voice, but you can't even get saved without hearing God, is my point, hearing with that sense, hearing, right? And so so I basically gave an answer that said, the people who say God doesn't speak today, their own theology which says the Spirit convicts us of sin and proves that the Bible is true and illuminates and gives understanding of the Bible to the saint, they're contradicting because that's all hearing. Those same people who say, God, don't speak today, if they're saved at all, their theology says that the only reason anyone gets saved is because God sovereignly says, you, and plucks us out of death and causes our heart to want Him and be born again, which is hearing. And I'm like, here's where I'm different is I actually believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today... So, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And the word of the Lord can come to y'all in a vision. I hope it does. And said, do not be afraid, Abram. This is your promise, guys. What did I say? Every promise, yes and amen. In Jesus. It's yours. This Old Testament is is not obsolete. It's cutting edge right now. It is Christian scripture. You're in Christ, and this Old Testament is yours. It's for today. So, do not be afraid, Jonathan and Danielle. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Or in other translations, he says, I am your shield and your very great reward. I don't know which it is, because translations waffle on that. And then listen, look at the next verse. Verse 2, Genesis 15. But Abraham said, <laughs> Oh, Lord God, <laughs> what good is that? when I don't even have a kid. And God doesn't get mad. Ah, I love that. I am your shield. Do not be afraid. Your reward will be great. And you'd think he'd be like, that's right, praise God, hallelujah. Instead he says, yeah, but I don't have a kid. Yeah, I love you too, God, but you you don't take the place of a kid because that's not who you are. Remember when Elkanah says to Hannah, am I not worth more to you than many sons? And I go, that's stupid. Of course not. You are a husband. You feel the need of a husband. You can never feel the need of a child. Adam was in the garden with a perfect relationship with God and God intentionally had him naming the animals and watching him get jiggy with it so he'd know that he's missing something. That means sexual intercourse, by the way, for those of you who don't know how to speak to him. God intentionally wanted Adam to go through the thing, so he'd go, everyone else has a partner. Where's my partner? So when we sing things in church like, God, you're all I need, well, that's true if you mean you're the only Savior I need, you're the only God I need, you're the only Father I need, you're the only Holy Spirit I'll ever need. You're the source of my whole life. But you also then designed me with a need for human relationships that you want to fulfill through giving me human relationships. And you've made me have a need to get to do work, good work in your kingdom for the sake of we were born in Christ Jesus again for good works. And if we sit around not doing them, we're not gonna be happy. Where's that message, right? Oh, we're saved by grace, brother. Don't even make it about works. I'm not talking about being saved by works. I'm talking about being saved so we get the freedom of enjoying doing good works with God. Like that's your calling. And if you're not fulfilling your calling, you're going to be super bored. Maybe struggling with insecurity and all sorts of crap. When you see yourself kicking butt, you don't struggle with insecurity. Right? When you're sitting around wondering if you're going to be good enough is when you struggle with insecurity. That's a topic for another day. So, but what good is that God... I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. This is my servant, not even my kid. You've given me no offspring. And so a slave born in my house is going to be my heir. Verse 4, but the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own flesh and blood. Weird. No one but your very own flesh and blood will be your heir. So God brought him outside, verse 5, and said, look up in the sky and count the stars if you're able to. And he said to him, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is a huge passage for for Paul. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham said, okay. And because Abraham said, okay, God said, righteous. Righteous. And that's y'all. You are righteous. Righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 21, God made him who was without sin, who knew no sin, to become sin for us on the cross, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not something that's still in the future. It's, tr- it's right. Right now it's true. Right now I'm the righteousness of God. Right now y'all are the righteousness of God. You didn't earn it. It's not your fault. You can take no credit for it. Every day you wake up, completely right with God and in your relationship with Him, it's as though you are Him. It's as though you're His own kid who didn't even ever have a sin nature and all you've ever done is love Him perfectly. That's who you are in relationship with God. Right? That blew up the whole church, by the way. A little guy, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther was reading in the Bible and one day that actually, he actually understood it and he goes, what? And suddenly God went from an angry, mean, impossible-to-please judge in the sky who terrified him. When he took his first communion, he ran out of the church, terrified. I'm going to hold the holy, sacred body and blood of Jesus. He got so overwhelmed and scared, he ran out the building. His dad was ashamed of him. His dad wanted him to go make money. He didn't want him to be a priest at all. So then when he came to the, to the first communion, and his kid, who he didn't even want to be a priest, runs out like a coward. He's like, oh my word, look at, look at this idiot I raised. Martin Luther was no idiot. The dude translated the Bible from the original Hebrew and Greek into German, which was the first time anyone had actually taken the Bible in, in like a thousand years and translated into the language of the people who were actually being preached to. The common folk didn't even understand the sermon. They just knew that when the bell gets rung, this thing becomes God, right? They'd say the words, the Latin words over the, over the bread and over the juice Nobody knows what they mean in the regular German people. And they'd ring a bell, ping, and then go, all right, the miracle happened. Now let's go get it. As long as we eat it, then we'll at least go to purgatory when we die. We won't go to hell. I've been baptized and I ate the bread and the cup. I don't know what this guy's talking about because it's all in Latin. And then Luther comes along and says, hey, actually we're saved by faith, which is by trusting the, the person of Jesus, which means you should understand what he's done for you. And like your average person should understand the book and can understand the book because God's not trying to confuse us. He's trying to help us know him. He wants every one of his kids to know him and not be scared of him, but be able to love him. How can you love him if you're scared of him? And Martin spent half his life scared of God. And he spent the last half a friend of God. And so he told the young, the young people in his church, he said, you youngins, you get to grow up in the sweetness of Christ. I envy you. All my life, I didn't. I knew knew Jesus in his terrible, terrible wrath. And I was never enough. Like take one simple command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you try to measure up to that, every single day you'll see how you don't. And the more you realize you don't, the more you'll be like, I'm failing him. And if you think that if you don't, that if you fail him, then he won't accept you, then every day it's a wrestling match with sin and the law is rooting you more in the flesh, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're going further and further away from friendship into a slave mentality. Right? So that whole passage that I memorized last week, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, is all about Jesus came, He died, took all of our violations, all of our F's, all of our fails on the report card, and He took them on Himself, and He gave us all His A's. And now we're friends of God and he doesn't measure us every day. Oh my word, you guys. Don't measure yourself. Stop it. But, oh my word. And so the one lady said to me, one young lady said to me uh, this week, you know, every day she she says, every day I sin. Because I'm imperfect, every day I sin. And because God's holy, all sin's the same to God. Therefore God's angry and disappointed in me every single day. There's partial truths, isn't it? Partial truths. Who in this room would raise their hand and say, I haven't sinned this week? I wouldn't raise my hand. I wouldn't raise my hand. But I enjoy friendship with God every day because I'm not living, in the, I'm not living under the law. I'm approaching God like Moses did. Yeah. I'm approaching God like Abraham did. And he's not viewing me as this cosmic rebel. And, and you go, oh, you, you know, some ideas are so bad you, you have to go to church to learn them. Hmm. No, listen, humans intuitively feel unworthy when it comes to God. And we should because we've sinned. The issue is how, what are we going to do about the sin? Who's going to get the sin off of me? Not just the guilt of the sin, but the actual sin. And some people have half the answer. Jesus frees me from the guilt of my sin. But the real gospel says he frees me from the guilt of my sin and he actually puts his nature inside of me as the answer to the power of my sin. So now it's not me living the Christian life for God. It's Jesus living the Christian life in and through me. And that's major. That's huge. And and so that means our identity has to shift. I am your shield. Your reward is very great. No, it's not good enough, God. What is that? I, I want a kid. How old, how old was um, Abraham when he first met God? Abraham was 75 in Genesis 12. Then when he re- re- God redoes the promises, I think he's in his 80s. And then in Genesis 17, when he finally gets the circumcision covenant, he's like, in his, he's like 99. And God's still making these promises. And I'm going, dude, that's 25 years of still not receiving the thing God said he was going to give you. And it, and it does happen. It does happen. Because the thing God wanted to give him was way more than the thing that he wanted. He just wanted one. Just give me one. Can I just have one? And the thing God gave him is you and me. You're his children. Because the one he asked for, actually, Isaac counts. But the true seed is Jesus. Jesus. And through Jesus, every single person who comes into the kingdom through Jesus is Abraham's kid. That's how this promise works, according to Paul. Look at the, read Galatians three. Isn't that that's wild? Abraham in one little narrow view. But my thing is this: Moses says, "Not good enough, God. You gave me six promises, but, but what about this? What about that?" And God goes, "I'll work with that. I'll work with that. I'll change the game plan. I'll flex with you." I'll be your real friend. That means we're going to make decisions together. You'll give. You'll surrender. I'll collaborate with you. I'll change the plan. I'll make allowances. No, no, Jesus. Uh, Jesus, no, no, Mom, it's not time yet. The father says, eh, give her what she wants. It's time. Okay, fine, it's time. Amos, no, no, don't, don't, God. I know it's what they deserve. I know it's what they deserve, but God, you're way, you're way better than what they deserve. Fine, fine then. For the sake of my promises to David, I'll do it. I love that one. For the sake of my promises to David, he's having mercy on people who lived hundreds of years later. Abraham, same deal, same deal. It is clear from the Bible that God's children, because that's what we are, influence God's action. You said this in your teaching. When we pray, God does something he would not have done otherwise. I mean, I don't know if those were exact words. But your little teaching you did in prayer on the one Wednesday that I, that I typed up? Yeah. Yeah. When we pray, we got to have full confidence that God is now taking action that he might not have taken and probably wouldn't have taken if we or someone hadn't prayed. That's friendship and influence and yes, authority. That's there too. I'm just, I just love this thing, man. This friendship with God theme is one of, probably my, one of my favorite themes in the whole book. I, I did a, my first wedding I did, it was an outdoor wedding, and I casually, it started to rain on us, and I casually said something like, no, stop it, I can't even remember, I don't remember if I prayed it, I don't know, I, I don't remember if I prayed to God, or if I told the rain to stop, but I probably said, no, please no, and, and then I went on and didn't think about it again, and later I was in the bathroom, and I overheard somebody say something like, that man of God told that rain to stop. And it did. Did you, did you see that? That was crazy. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm that man of God. That's fun. <laughs> Listen, I want to tell you one more quick thing that occurred to me today. Uh, resurrection morning, Mary and the women who go with spices early. Uh, the angels say, he is not here. He is risen. Just like he told y'all. Now, how'd they know that's what he told them? That's my theory, Jonathan. Yeah. They've been there the they've angels been there are in normally whole time. invisible and they've, been there the whole time. and they've been paying attention to what God said to you. Wow. They're normally invisible yeah. and they're watching what we understand what we don't understand, what Jesus is saying to us, what God's revealing to us, what we're saying to God, what we're praying. Uh, that's a weird idea, isn't it? Yeah. Now, then they show up, they make them visible. Ah. We're surrounded, guys. I know I've been asking to remember this We're surrounded. On, let me let me see some. Eli- Elisha. The Lord told me with that Elisha story. That's not a one time thing. Where they're surrounded by the enemy, and then he says, "Open his eyes, open Gehazi," and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> heavenly armies. How? What percentage of the angels fell? A third, a third which means two thirds are on my team. Which means there's always more for us than against us. Always. That's like a good song then. This is how I fight my battles. I lean on my father. I use the weapons of my faith. And I don't get caught up, I try not to get caught up, in getting all offended at the human players in the scene. Which is really hard, Honest, I'm just going to admit to you, it's really hard. Sometimes I just want to tell people, you're stupid and mean. Stop it. Which is not helpful. It's not helpful at all. Not helpful. I'm still too easily hurt. But if I'm feeling hurt, I know I'm already I'm off track. I'm like off track. And I gotta go, okay, I want to hit back. You're not my enemy. You're not my enemy. Why am I feeling so threatened by you right now when I already won? Okay, here we go again. Anyway, that was just a, th- a weird thought that I had as the angel showing up and saying, He ain't here. Don't you remember what he told you? Because they remember. How do they remember? cuz they were watching they were listening they're always watching anyway can you guys pray for each other